my name is Matt Johnson, and I'm a member here at Redeemer. And you met my wife, uh, Kate, just a few minutes ago. She's the better looking of us two. And uh, we have two girls, Ella and Maggie. Ella's four, and Maggie's two. And uh, I'm just excited to be able to share God's word with you today. Uh, I'm a cartographer, I make maps. And it's important that maps, you know, have essential information so we can either use those to find where we're going or display data in a way that's clear. A map usually needs a legend as well to kind of find out what's the map about, what's it telling me, how do I interpret this map so I can see, oh, I can see now. Uh, So you can see, uh, you know, how to use the symbols, how to read this map and not interpret the wrong way. You may have heard that the Bible's also known as, or has been called a roadmap to life or a roadmap to heaven. I don't think this is entirely wrong, but if we look at the Bible as an instruction manual, as something that we have to you know, live up to and fulfill and press into, it, it's turning it into something that shows that we actually have to perform. We have to actually do something to get God to accept us. And that's very dangerous because God's word actually tells us that we can't live up to these commands. <clears throat> It's better to see the Bible as a key to life uh, that explains how we are broken and how we can't live up to these commands, but how Jesus did, how he perfectly navigated life so that we could uh, be approved and accepted. As we've been studying the Sermon on the Mount, we see this explanation of how broken we are, but we've also, and more importantly, see a portrait of Jesus' life, a life that we can have. Today we're going to look at Matthew 7, 12 through 14, And look at three parts of this key to life. Knowing the way to live, knowing the wide path, and knowing the narrow way. Let's stand together and hear God's word. And if you uh, don't have a Bible with you today, uh, the grace ESV on your seat on page 691. Feel free to take one of these home if you don't have a Bible. So Matthew 7, 12 through 14. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. This is the word of the Lord. Guys, pray with me. Father, I just uh, thank you for today. I thank you for time to come and worship and hear your word gathered together. Lord, I just pray that you... uh, We'll soften our hearts to what you'll have to say today. And Lord, just uh, give me strength to speak your words and not mine. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys have a seat. <clears throat> so in verse 12, we see Jesus starting to wrap up the, the sermon on the mount here. This portion of the key to life is about knowing the way to live. Now, I talked about earlier maps. Maps have overview texts or introductions that explain kind of what the map is about. What's it going to tell me? Here we see Jesus starting his conclusion, kind of summarizing a theme that we've seen throughout the Sermon on the Mount. We also are going to see another item here as we work through this that's a reference. It points back to something that's foundational to a map, or in this case, life. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. We have to start looking at this section by looking at this so. This tells us we need to look back and see what came before that. Thankfully, we've had the past 13 or 14 weeks to kind of study through the Sermon on the Mount and see a lot of the things that Jesus is referring back to. We've talked about lust, covenants, retaliation, anger, guilt, uh, 
Oh, guilt, that's not in there. <laughs> Sorry. Loving our enemies and giving and also judging. All of these have a very common theme. And they're summarized here in verse 12. Do to others that you would have them do to you. It's all about relationships. It's all about a selfless way of living. You may be saying, this is nothing new. I've heard this before. And you're right. A similar version of it, at least. Confucius said, what you do not wish for yourself, do not do to others. Many versions of this saying can be found, but in this negative context. If we look at this statement, this negative statement of do not, and compare it with the do that Jesus gives us, we can easily see the difference. As Robert H. Mount says in his work on Matthew, in its negative form, the golden rule could be satisfied by doing nothing. But the positive form moves us to action on behalf of others. So the positive is active and the negative is passive. Jesus is calling his disciples and calling us to be active in the people's lives around us. So what did this life look like in Jesus' day? Were people active or were they passive? Uh, Did they treat people well or how did they treat them? We see many examples through scripture about how the sick, the poor, sinners, all of these people were treated. A great example of how passive people were is the story of the rich man and Lazarus that we see in Luke 16. This rich man had everything. He had big parties at his house. He had food that could feed thousands probably. But then you see Lazarus. He's outside of the gate of this rich man's house. And he's laying there. He's, being, he's eating the scraps from this rich man's table. The dogs are actually coming and licking his sores. And they care. the dogs care more about him than the rich man did. This shows that people were very passive during this time. So the, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has been calling these people out. They think they're living God's way, but they're not. They're living their own. Each, each example is telling... Jesus is showing us that the righteous people are very passive. They're not active at all. But thankfully, we see that Jesus was very active. We see that his disciples were so astonished by the way he was treating these people around him. He was hanging out with the poor. He was hanging out with the sick, the prostitutes. He was hanging out with broken people like you and me. He would hang out. Uh, he, would, he was brutally honest with these guys when, they, when he hung out with them. He was genuine with them but in a loving way, much like the way he would want to be treated. He knew what they needed, and he he gave himself to them selflessly for their benefit and not his. What about today? How do we act today? Are we passive or are we active? Honestly, I think we're we're no different than what we see throughout the Sermon on the Mount. We are not very active. Sometimes we are when it fits our schedule and when we, you know, want to make ourselves look good, but we're passive people living in a passive culture. We make a decent attempt to treat others the way we want to be treated, but when they hurt us or do something we don't like or we disagree with them, we're too easy, we too easily write them off as not important and just say, I don't care about them. Other times, we actually might be able to pull the golden rule off. We may be able to actually live it out to a point. But then, usually those times, we find ourselves looking at what am I going to get out of this, not what they're going to get out of it. When we do this, we've turned it, Jesus' selfless way, into a selfish way. It's safe to say that we can't fully live up to the gospel, or to the golden rule. We cannot fulfill it the way Jesus did. That leads us into the last part of the verse. This is the law and the prophets. This is the part I was referring to earlier. 
That's kind of a reference back to something that was foundational in Jesus' life. If the golden rule is the law and the prophets, and we cannot fulfill it, what does that say about our relationship with God? We need to look at Luke 10, 25 through 37. This is the story of the great Samaritan. To get a clear picture of how Jesus was really driving home the point of our relationship with God and with people. I'm going to read 25 through 28, and then I'll summarize the rest. And behold, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. Now, we read on to this, and it, uh, this, this, this lawyer was desiring to know who his neighbor was. He wanted to justify himself so that he could say, all right, this is my neighbor, I'm going to treat him that way, and nobody else, or this guy, and then I'm going to move on with life because I've got eternal life coming to me. But Jesus kind of turns it back on him and gives him a story about a man who was heading down the Jericho Road from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's a dangerous road. There are a lot of robberies that happen there, and this man... was overtaken by robbers and left for dead in the ditch. And then we see that three men came walking by. We have a priest, a Levite, and and the Good Samaritan. The priest saw him, crossed across the road, and passed on the other side. Also the Levite, the same thing. He came down, saw him, saw this guy in the ditch, turned around, went on the other side of the road. I like to think that they were covering their face after they saw him so they couldn't see him because it hurt them. It made them feel so uncomfortable. But then we see the great Samaritan, or the good Samaritan come. He's walking down. I like to think he's on the other side of the road because it says he went to him. He went to the place. So he's walking along. He sees him and he goes. He goes there. He picks him up. He bandages his wounds. He takes him to an inn. He takes care of him. And he pays the innkeeper to even take care of him the next day. So what does then Jesus say? Who was the neighbor to this man? And the lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. We see here that if we fail to love our neighbor, the neighbor we see in the ditch that's hurting, that needs rescuing, if we fail to see him, how? if we fail to love him, how could we love God who we can't see? Our relationship with God is broken. And it's been broken since Adam and Eve ate the fruit in the garden. But thankfully, there is a true and greater Samaritan who came to love us so that we would be able to love God and so that we could love our neighbors the way the law and the prophets intended us to. This great Samaritan is Jesus. And he came to experience the pain, the hurt, the sadness, the loneliness, the guilt that we all experience. He faced all these things and more. But he was able to live a sinless life while experiencing these things and was able to take that sinfulness, my sinfulness, your sinfulness, to the cross die the death that we all deserve, then he rose victoriously three days later, sealing an eternal, transformed life for anyone who believes. A life that is now in right relationship with God, where we can be justified, we can be okay, and we, because of Jesus' fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Only through Christ can we know the way to live, know how to live selflessly and actively, because Christ has given us the ability through the Holy Spirit. This new way of life in Christ is offered freely to everyone, and we must make a choice if we will choose to accept it. Will we choose 
to accept God's way or will we choose to continue on our own path? In verses 13 and 14, the key to life explains the result of our decision to either choose the wide path or the narrow path. Kate and I used to live in Colorado and we hiked a whole lot. And being a map maker and a male, I tried not to use maps at all. But even sometimes, I had to look and make sure we were on the right trail to make sure, you know, I took the right fork in the road. Maybe some of you guys that hike, that are out there on the trail before, have been hiking along and you've come to a fork. And you're like, when I was studying this map, that fork wasn't here, so I'm going to break the map back out and see where, where this thing goes. You pull it out, and sure enough, that trail's not on there. It's a new trail. We call these social trails, trails that people have made to either take a shortcut or like, oh, that looks cool to walk up on the side of that cliff. Let's go that way. So, you know, those maps sometimes, too, would actually have a disclaimer on them that said, all the major trails, the designated trails in this area, in this park, are shown on this map. Any other trails that you go to follow, you're going to get fined But more than that, you could be physically hurt or killed. We we see the same thing here in verse 13. A warning about following the crowd and taking the easy road. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. First, let's look at this path that we were born on, the wide gate we all entered. We start our lives looking for things that make us happy, things that will fulfill our desires. Like I said earlier, I have two girls. And when we parent them well and we keep things from them that will hurt them, they get really upset sometimes because we know a little bit better than they do at times. And they scream and they cry and they fuss. And they try to find another path to get what they want no matter what we say. Even as adults, we're the same way. When we don't agree with something or someone's against us or it's not going the way we want it to, we cry and we fuss and we scream and we look for that other path. Because that road is easy. It's easy to find another thing or another group of people that will agree with us. We're always searching for something better on this broad way. And there are a lot of options. Culture tells you that you can live a good life, you can follow your own path, and you can, you know, have a good time. There are a lot of folks on this path. Even churches today have relaxed how they feel about God's way. They preach uh, that to have high numbers are to make, their pe- make people feel good about themselves. But Jesus makes it clear that this path will lead to destruction and a complete separation from God. The wide path of selfish desires for a time will seem, seem to lead to a great life, but in the end, the worship of culture and ourselves will lead to death. God, the creator of all things, is the only person who has the right to be selfish. His selfishness for his ways are actually good for us. They benefit us. He desires only worship of him and true righteousness that can be provided through Jesus. Even as a believer, I find I want to take some of these social trails from time to time. I fall back and relying on my own nature to, to lead me in my decisions, and I forgot, forget what the Word has said about me, what the gospels, the path the Gospels put me on. For me, these social trails look like times when me and Kate have conflict. I just want to push it to the side and pretend like it's not there and pretend like everything's okay. With my girls, if I'm dancing in the living room with them, I uh, think about, well, this is great, but 
it would be really good if I could just go do my own thing because it's kind of uncomfortable for me. I like to do my own thing. And I think about me and not spending the precious time with my girls or with my coworkers. I sit there at my office and they come in, they're sharing problems, they're sharing life with me. And I don't want anything to do with it. I just want to get my work done and move on. This is horrible. And in those times, I've forgotten the gospel and how it set me on this selfless, narrow path. Only through God's word will I remember, will we all know, the wide paths that lead us to destruction. But more importantly, his word teaches us to know the narrow way. Finally, one more hiking example as I move as we move into verse 14. When planning to hike one of Colorado's many 14,000 foot peaks, or 14ers we called them, we'd read about the route, decide, you know, what time are we going to get up? We've got to make the summit before the afternoon thunderstorms come in because it's really dangerous to be at that high of elevation. If you've ever experienced being up at 14,000 feet and the static electricity is kind of starting to come in and your hair standing up on its ends, it's pretty scary at least when you have hair. (laughs) By doing this, we were looking at the risk involved and the struggle it would take to make it to the top, to summit the mountain. Or another way of saying it, we were looking, we were counting the cost. Would it be worth the struggle of getting up early, lugging all the gear, making the summit, all the blood, sweat, and the tears? When When we get up there, the beauty made it worth it always. We see the same thing here in verse 14. Jesus is calling us to count the cost of entering this narrow gate through him and walking the narrow path. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. As Jesus' sacrifice on the cross to cover our guilt was costly to him, death, pain, despair, rejection, it's going to be costly to those who choose to follow it. But entering this narrow gate and walking this narrow road will lead to life. Let's look at how some of the disciples actually responded to this in John six sixty through 69. A few verses before this, Jesus is talking about how anyone desiring eternal life must eat his flesh and drink his blood. Jesus is meaning here, to have eternal life, we must put our trust in his sacrifice and put our faith in him. In verse 60, we read, When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to him, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who were who would not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you, that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. We see here that even the disciples that were, some of the disciples that were following him around, seeing him perform miracles, seeing him change hearts, could not find their way to this narrow gate. It was too narrow and too hard for them to enter. How about today? What does this narrow look like, the selfless like look like compared to the selfish like, the life on the wide path we looked at earlier? First, it's going to be hard. People on this path are going to be looked at as the world as freaks, 
as closed-minded, narrow-minded people. Persecution will always be knocking on our doors. Loss of friendships and even families will be turned apart when this narrow road is followed. Second, if we have chosen this way of life, we will be broken. We will be confronted with God's truth and the sin in our lives will be made known. <clears throat> this will be difficult, but it will, be, but it will lead to growth and a greater trust in our sovereign God. More than this, though, we will be given a new selfless heart, one where we can focus on those around us and their well-being and their knowledge of God. Third, we'll be able to see people as Christ saw us needing to be rescued. Our hearts will be transformed to treat those around us with forgiveness and love the way Christ loved us. We will become some of the few that have found that narrow gate entered and are walking the hard way. So what does Jesus mean here when he says only a few will enter? The few in verse 14 and then the many in verse 13 is to point us to the fact that a lot of people are going to choose their own way over God's way. Today this seems to really hold up a lot of people and have them question, well, is there a lot going to be saved? Am I going to be one of those? I've got to worry. I'm worried about this. Even in Jesus' time, people ask the same question. In Luke 12, 13, 23, and 24... We see how Jesus responded. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who, be, who will be saved be few? And he said to them, Strive to enter the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able to. Sorry. Jesus tells us to strive to enter the narrow gate. God knows the number, but it shouldn't be a concern to us. I do want to point out, though, that we do have a picture of what this view in heaven is going to look like. John tells us in Revelation 7, 9 and 10. He says, After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes, and from all languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. If numbers are not our concern, then what is? For us as believers, it's to preach the gospel to ourselves and those around us, including believers, people who are striving to enter this narrow gate, and people who are on the broad way. The concern for those of you who are striving for the narrow gate or who are choosing to go their own way is to be where you are right now, hearing God's word. If you are striving for the narrow gate, God's already started to work on your heart. That's the only reason you have that desire. We saw that earlier in John six sixty five, And he said, This is why I told you, that no one can come to me unless the Father is granted him by the unless can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. If you are still going your own way, then the person who invited you here or brought you here kicking and screaming loves and cares for you enough to risk that relationship so that you can receive this free life-changing gift that Jesus has given them. Knowing the narrow path allows us to see that the Christian life is not easy and that we will not be accepted by the world around us. But be comforted by the transforming power of the gospel and know that if we have believed and we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we are on this narrow road together with a community of believers who are there to provide encouragement and support. Maybe you're here today and you're striving for this gate but you feel like there's no way that gate's going to be open to me. I've done too many things. There's too much junk in my life that I've got to fix before I knock. Because if I knock right now, I'm going to be rejected. Jesus wants to meet you 
where you are right now in the middle of your sin, no matter where you feel like you are. He's already taken that guilt. He's already taken those things away, and he's awaiting for you to knock on that gate. He's standing there jumping up and down, so excited, just like my girls do every time I come home from work. He's standing on the other side of that gate with new clothes that identify you as clean and righteous. I encourage you to join a community group and be surrounded by others whose hearts are being transformed as well. Maybe you're one of those kickers and screamers and you're going to stay on your own way. I want to invite you too to become part of our community to see how God is changing the lives of the people you're sitting around. Join a community group and see how this narrow life really looks. I think you'll be surprised. Many of us were right where you are, and we decided just to see what this countercultural way would look like, and God changed our hearts and is continuing to change our hearts. We want you to see that we are not perfect, but that through the gospel we're being renewed daily. Maybe you've entered this narrow gate, this, and this difficult way is pressing on you. Some of you are enduring well. Rest in the gospel and see that it provides the encouragement and approval that you need. Others of you might be trying to broaden your way, travel down some of those social trails, wanting to go with the culture on some of the hard issues we see today. I ask you to look back at the gospel and remember how Jesus suffered for you and how he pulled you into his arms. Also, if you're not in a community group, I encourage you to get plugged in so you can be reminded of the gospel as you live out community on mission for Jesus here in Bloomington. Finally, I would encourage all of us to examine how you see the Bible. Do you see it as a map to heaven? Don't see it as a map to heaven, but see that it is the key to life that shows how Jesus lived the life we never could and how he died the death that we all deserve so we could all become the children of God. Strive to enter this narrow gate and walk the hard way because Jesus' beauty is worth it. You guys pray with me. Father, I just thank you for today, and Lord, I just thank you for your words and your uh, encouragement and your approval uh, through your gospel. Lord, we just pray as we uh, just continue to worship now, Lord, that we can just uh, reflect on you and how you've worked in our lives or how you're starting to work in our lives. We just thank you for today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.